Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 338, how this regional small firm was acquired by a large national architecture firm with Sandra Little, principal at Quinn Evans. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Sandra Little, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Uh, thank you, Mark. I'm excited to be back. Thank you for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. This is going to be fun. Um, let me just remind people who you are, and then we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, Sandra Little is an architect based in Detroit, Michigan, and a dedicated advocate for the re uh, revitalization of the urban realm. With expertise in building assessments and creative yet practical design strategies, strategies uh, she helps clients transform buildings, increase property values, and bring new life to aging communities. Sandra was here just a few weeks back here at the podcast with Karen Davis Burton to talk about their project, Noir Design Party. You should definitely go back and listen to that episode. Uh, Noir Design Party is a project 
designed to research and tell the stories of the professional journeys and creative works of Detroit's black architects. And it's a fascinating story. It was a great uh, conversation. You should definitely uh, research and go go find it, uh, Noir Design Partie on social media. They're in the process of building a new website uh, to tell those stories. And so you'll have news on that as that develops. Um, but during that, that conversation, while um, Sandra told us her origin story, Sandra referenced that the firm that she built from scratch was acquired by a much larger, more established national firm, Quinn Evans. And so that piqued my interest as well and said, you know, a lot of people uh, want to know that story, want to know how that happens. You build a, build a, a practice, you know, uh, and it becomes uh, a, a target for a larger firm to want to, uh, uh, you know, um, merge and 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 bring you into a larger firm. And so, Sandra, I wanted you to come back and tell that story. We didn't have time to tell that story the first time. So so I'm really happy that you uh, uh, found some time to come back and, and share that story. So thank you for that, first of all. Thanks, Thanks for coming back. And then we, uh, I also, I mean, you, you told your whole origin story in the first episode, but I would love for you, in order to just set some context for anybody who did not listen to that first episode, um, share uh, your origin story, uh, how you got to where you are, what inspired you to become an architect, how you built your firm, uh, and then we'll roll right into a conversation about the acquisition and how that all happened. So let's uh, let's hear your story. How did how did it all start? Okay. Uh, well, as a young kid, uh, I always uh, was attracted to art and and drawing and uh, just the creative side of things, and and it was very fortunate my mother. Um, had a little bit of that creative uh, uh, vibe as well. So she would uh, draw with me and uh, she used to sew. So she, you know, but she was, her her professional life wasn't, uh, you know, automotive uh, manufacturer, assembly line person. So, but she was very creative in her own right. So she uh, let me live in, in that creative world. I was able to explore that and, uh, and it was very interesting when I came back to her and said, uh, you know, I, I think I want to be an architect. Uh, uh, I, I felt like I had to put something together that would uh, make my mom proud. So it had to it had to have the art piece to it and uh, the professionalism to it as well. So uh, she we, we went through a little exercise because architects as an African-American really wasn't uh, in our kind of social network. So. Uh, we went through an exercise together. We were figuring out uh, what architecture was and how do I become one. And uh, she actually also to like set up a, a meeting with me to talk with her uh, uh, plant head plant engineer and take me up to their office and tour the plant to see if I wanted to do uh, kind of, you know, automotive uh, uh, building design or be in the assembly line design. And, uh, you know, I told her, yeah, I appreciate it. I learned a lot, you know, but I, I still think I want to be in architecture. So. Um, I kind of started out, uh, middle school drafting classes and art classes all the way through. So what, um, what, how old were you when you sort of decided this is something that interests me? I, I want to say it was right at, uh, the junior high school level. I'm, it was probably like seventh grade, yeah. uh, around that age. Uh, cause by the time I was in, in middle school, I was already like, like, I could take all the art classes I could get to. What's next? You know, right. uh, uh, printmaking classes. And I had some wonderful teachers that still uh, uh, were uh, great influences along the way. I was very fortunate. Did, 
Did you? And, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there were barriers along the way. Um, were, were there barriers right from the beginning? Did you sort of experience any resistance from the beginning? Uh, so you know what? I did not. Uh, I've, I've had this conversation with a couple people that like uh, I've, I've spoken at events, you know, being an African-American woman and it's yeah. less than 450 African-American licensed women architects in the United States. And they were like, yeah, I thought about that when I was a kid, but my guidance counselor said, you know, that's something that, you know, wouldn't be good for me. Or they were discouraged along the way. I was very fortunate with my guidance yeah. counselor. He pulled out like, oh, you want to be an architect? He's a, here, here are the schools that are available in Michigan. Here are schools outside of Michigan. Um, and by that time I was in high school, I had like my drafting teacher behind me and, you know, different teachers behind me. And in college, I've, I've, so it was the same thing. I did not get that. Uh, and I consider myself blessed and fortunate. I did not get that nudge of discouragement yeah. uh, in, in, in college. I had professors that were um, that took to me. And I was, like I said, very, very fortunate in that and, and encouraged me. Um, I even had uh, one professor uh, when I, I went to school at Lawrence Technological University here in Michigan. And um uh, one professor just I, I I I was talking to her about design and my design ideas and when I got up for a critique, I I kind of froze right I didn't know how to explain my design the way I wanted to and she was just like afterwards like yeah you should have just told me how to help you you know I just just uh, you know I could have told you you just because you have a brilliant, brilliant design you just have to learn how to articulate yourself and get it out there, I mean just very uh, all along the way just uh. Uh, gentle nudges and and great uh, pushes to to make it through. Yeah, it's so important uh, of the influences that we have as as students and young architects. You know, I ask that question often to to many of our guests because um, not about the resistance, but about the people who are in your life early on um, being an influence on the rest of what you do. When you don't receive that resistance, um, but you actually receive support and encouragement and the showing the way and, and have some guides along the way. And this is the way you do it. Um, and so I, th I think that probably influences everything else on the journey, right? Because you're, you're not defensive. You're not looking for ways to sort of avoid those conflicts because those conflicts weren't there early on and they continue to not be there. So, um, it's well, a, I I will say it's a little different when I started to get into the business world. Yeah, I, I, could, I could talk about that in a few minutes. But yep. yeah, it, 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 uh, it changed uh, just uh, as I got older, I, I realized perspective, right, that I did have have it good. I came through without adversity and then almost and grew up in a neighborhood that was just like wonderful as far as uh, upbringing. But I started to as I expanded my territory, I, I started to see different forces and realized like, uh, you know, what I was stepping into. Like, I, I didn't even realize until I started to do my research with Noir Design Party about licensing uh, statistics in Michigan, that at the time when I graduated from college um, or graduated from high school, like 1988, the first licensed African-American woman, woman architects were licensed in Michigan that year. Oh, wow. So it's like it's like I never knew that yeah. what I was talking about becoming was such a rare right. jewel. You know, I I, I was uh, just oblivious to it. So I think if I would have known, that would have kind of almost been right. uh, a deterrent to me. So um, 
And that's why I think it's important to tell that story. too. That's so. why I asked, because I wanted <laughs> you to be able to tell that story, because there are yeah. other people who are listening right now who, you know, there might be young students, there might be kids, there may be uh, people who have gone through what you've gone through. Um, and and I wanted to make sure that that story, you know, is told. So it's 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 an important piece of it. What what's interesting to me is when when during your journey you said maybe it was during your business or maybe when when did it become apparent to you that there could be resistance that you actually ha- had a good experience as a young black architect when did it become uh, something that you acknowledged that oh I actually had it pretty good because other architects didn't have that experience when did yeah, that so come was- to, to light for you. It was definitely in college. It was uh, definitely right after college um, because I became uh, I, all along in high school. No one was talking about being an architect. So, you know, I just just like, OK, I just didn't know anybody who did that. So yeah. as I went to architecture school, architecture events and started to see the numbers uh, at, at these events that, OK, oh, I'm the only one in the room or it's, it's a couple of us in the room. And, like, yeah. okay, wow. yeah. and then I would. Uh, so I had cousins that went to uh, school during the same time I did. It was like a group of three of us that were graduating the same year, going to college the same year. So they went to different schools. And, and when I came together from for their workplace events, it was different statistics at the table. Like I'm like sitting at the dinner table. It's like, oh, it's a lot of African-Americans that work for AT&T. Okay, wow. And then I go to an architecture firm. I'm like, okay, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get it. It's not a story that was told during the time of yeah. the early 90s that, you know, all, all the statistics and data that's out there now about um, equity and inclusion and, and um, minority numbers weren't weren't prevalent. And, I've, and like I said, I've only came across uh, actually in college, the one book that uh, really made me realize that. And that was a book that was written by Jack Travis. Uh, he's a black architect out of New York. Um, he also did like consulting with Spike Lee for uh, uh, Jungle Fever, the movie with uh, the character Wesley Snipes played a, a black yeah. architect in that movie. So I was starting to get exposed as I was educating myself and, and going through school and and started starting my professional career. So I was starting to see how rare things were. Um, and as I uh, and then I I I did like uh, have a couple colleagues in college that literally are still my lifelong friends now. Uh, one of them became my business partner. His Damon Thomas. We met at Lawrence Technological University, and just meeting another African American that was, you know, that I could I could have a share story with. We've been friends for over now 25 years, so uh, and and business and and business partners for um, the last you know uh, 10 years. So yeah, uh, it 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 created that great that really big bond. And it was organizations like when I was at Lawrence Tech. Uh, like the National Organization of Minority Architects did not have a, a, a student chapter at Lawrence Tech at the time when I was there. So I would I was part of the American Institute of Architects AIS student. Yeah, uh, they have a great chapter. chapter. Yeah, they have a great chapter. At, uh, and but and then actually, ironically, there were uh, two African-American presidents of the student chapter at, of AIS when I was at Lawrence. So I got to know them. Um, but just like I said, just learning all the different aspects of it and how 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 small of a number it was, uh, it just, it, it came over time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and one of the things that I wanted to ask is the, and I'm sure at one time that there were, there was a very limited number, if if not almost none, uh, black American architects uh, because of bias. As we move forward, 
it, as as I don't know, the last decade or so, and currently, do you th- and, and we obviously see those numbers going up. Uh, is is that um, if there are those numbers due to bias now and previously, or is it more because um, black architects didn't really have the opportunities that white architects had? And that's that's coming from somebody I just don't know, and so that's why yeah. I, I wanted to ask that question. No, no, it's very it's very true. Um, so if, as as I was saying, if 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 after I got into my practice, and you know it was, and and I feel like I'm a, I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur. That's another thing too. So I'm, I'm just I feel like I've been going through this discovery, right? So yeah, uh, in 2008 when the recession hit. And uh, that's when I started my architectural firm. When I graduated from college, I never thought about starting an architectural firm. I was like, I want to get a nice job somewhere and uh, just design, you know, this type of, you know, these types of buildings. And, 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 and for me, it was like, oh, museums and, you know, institutional type buildings. Uh, I'm good. Uh, d- not understanding the, the business nature of architecture uh, being based on the recessions and economy yeah. and different things like that. Uh, I came out of school in the middle, uh, so I got my master's in 1998 in the middle of the Clinton years, everything was good. I was like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. And so to go through the cycle of recessions and starting my firm, um, I, I felt like I had got experience because I have worked for different firms that were large firms, uh, like with Afari and Associates, I've worked with smaller firms like James Scott was the first guy I uh, sold practitioner I worked for. He was an African-American architect and Emmett Haygood, uh, EDH Design, he had like a, a firm that was similar to our size, uh, like a 10 to 12 person firm. Uh, so I felt like I knew the different firm types so I could do it in 2008. But when actually going into the environment of trying to get work, it's tough from an African-American standpoint because you don't have the same networks of of wealth that mm-hmm. uh, and contacts that uh, other uh, non African Americans uh, have. So I I didn't have I don't, I didn't have in my network a lot of people that were building homes. You know uh, I didn't so I had to think in things I had to think of things of, in a different context. So h- how can I impact the African American uh, community? I had to think of larger projects that were kind of community based. Uh, and then I can find some of my network contacts in in those arenas. So with school design and um, and and knowing a couple people that were in the public school uh, system, and um, so I had to work my my network right. So it wasn't that I knew anybody who could introduce me to a CEO of a company or anything like that. That was just not uh, the contact list that I had. I came. I'm the first year first generation college graduate out of my family. So I built, I had to build my network along with building my practice yeah. uh, and was very, and was very fortunate in doing that. And at the time in, in 2008, I felt like, okay, I graduated from college, but I did not have a background in, in business. There were no entrepreneurship classes in, in college when I went to schools and graduated in the late nineties. There were, you know, uh, at the time, the American Institute of Architects um, besides the architectural handbook, really didn't talk about how to st- set up and start your practice. There was a couple of books out there, and I just felt like, well, how am I going to do this, right? I um, and I didn't have entrepreneurs in my family. You know, everybody from my family, a lot of them worked in the automotive industry. So I, I was, uh, I had, I, I dug in deep. I uh, 
I started to network at uh, TechTown Detroit here locally, which is uh, a business incubator that was started, I think, in 2004. So I started my practice in 2008. Uh, and they were, you know, started to start this innovation hub in Detroit because even entrepreneurship wasn't really that friendly in Detroit. It was really based on manufacturing the big three. Yep. And entrepreneurship had kind of died uh, here in Metro Detroit. So uh, entities like TechTown and the Michigan uh, business leaders were trying to change that that story and that narrative. And then when the recession hit and everybody in in, in Michigan realized that all of our eggs are in the automotive basket, basket, everybody wanted to change that. So I was there for a ground level of entrepreneurship push um, in Metro Detroit working and um, it's almost like what people talk about in uh, you know, innovation hubs and, and co-working spaces, that serendipity uh, type of connection. So I started to meet people. I, I enrolled in programs just to get entrepreneurship training and how to set up my back of house, uh, back of house office um, items. And uh, so I went through Tech Town's program that they had called Smart Start. And that was uh, sponsored by the Kaufman uh, Foundation. So uh, got a program. We went through like a 12-week program there to help me and my business partner both get, you know, kind of a, a foundation of what we should be doing. So we, you know, what type of business are we setting up? We're doing an LLC. And then, okay, what is an op- operating agreement? We need to do that. So uh, it gave us that step-by-step thing of what we needed to do uh, to to uh, kind of put the business in order. Um, and then the network uh, grew from there. So I started meeting other businesses in these training classes that I was going to to learn about entrepreneurship. So it became like a, a, a B2B type uh, uh, relationship. So like some of our first clients were um, small businesses that were one was starting a daycare. So we were like, okay, we can help you, uh, you know, move into a larger facility uh, from your home to do that. And then another client was actually in tech town with us. And then Uh, moved into a larger office space, started to really grow. They were in the energy sector. And um, and so we uh, worked on her office design and actually she's upsized twice. So we worked on two office designs for her. So it all all of our networks came from very grassroots, very business uh, uh, entrepreneurship digging in. It was just digging in the community here that was growing here in Detroit Uh, and then ended up within our practice designing um, the largest co-working space that was in Metro Detroit uh, in 2000. It opened in 2014, so uh, which was Tech Town's Junction 440 co-working space. So, and and that was amazing because they were like design a space with 20,000 square feet uh, with everything you needed when you started your business. I was like, this is no problem. I could do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I, I needed conference rooms. I needed a place to have meetings and whole workshops. So yeah. So. Um, that was just like the ideal project to, to start. And we won a design award for that. So things with the practice just started to grow very organic. Um, we did, uh, we targeted, you know, our business development was just based on, um, like I said, targeting our relationships and leveraging our relationships. We leveraged social media because we were like, we don't have money for a PR person or any uh, campaigns. Because uh, like I said, starting from nothing, but I, 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 my kids taught me Facebook. I jumped on Twitter. I started a LinkedIn page and we blast everything that we, and we started a blog site. It was called Inside the Studio. Uh, so we blogged and uh, posted about every little thing we were doing, even behind the scenes, just like 
oh, today it's a site visit, you know, uh, you know, this is a picture of the studio today. My son's in the studio today. So just making it very personable right. and, um, and, and people almost saw the growth, you know, so they actually, uh, a lot of support, uh, on that side, but I realized that I didn't have the advantages of getting some of the larger projects, um, because I didn't know the right people to get the, the larger work at the, at tech town, that was a wonderful project because I literally was involved in their, their entrepreneurship program. So I actually knew the executive director before that I would have never known her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that That is a, a very inspiring story. There are hundreds thousands of architects that start practices every year. And, and I think we're going to see a, a wave of many new practices starting in the next coming year or two. Um, and your story of saying, okay, I started from scratch. I like started from zero. Right. And yeah. the, the first thing you recognized and the first thing you did was build a foundation. You went out and learned what you needed to learn in order to be an entrepreneur in, in order to be a, an architect, uh, a yeah. business, a business owner, architect. Um, and, and then from that you learned business and from building that foundation, you found a network and then yeah. started to build and recognize that that network was important. Um, and that network was what was going to get you more work. And then you learned to leverage that network yes. and that, that network brought you more work. And then you took that work and you leveraged that work to get bigger, bigger, you know, bigger work. And so that story, um, for every young architect. I hear it all the time. How do I get work? How do, I have no connections. I have a brand new architect. How do I start? There you go. <laughs> There's your story. There's your formula. Uh, Sandra just gave it to you. You can start it from scratch and you can see what she built. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm. RCAT.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit RCAT.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and RCAT will deliver. That's RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. 
Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets. Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Talk about the practice just before acquisition. What did you build it into? Okay, okay. Um, and like you said, it, it, it's nothing like a recession to make you uh, almost jump in the water and you have to swim, right? So that's kind of really what that story was like. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like, I have to figure this out. You so. were determined, right? <laughs> right, this, right? I was not going to fail. That's what I right. hear is that, yeah, that it, you, had, you had set your sights. That we are going to succeed. We are going to build this firm and there's nothing going to stand in our way and you just kept pushing forward. The other thing I left out of that formula is that you kept moving forward, right? Yeah. You saw the opportunity and you kept moving toward that next opportunity, which is how you grow, right? Yeah. You don't, and you said to use the word organically. That's how it works, right? You yeah. build the foundation, then things start to happen. You need to be, uh, uh, you have to have the ability to recognize those opportunities and then pursue those opportunities. Yeah. And some of those opportunities are really scary, right? That's true. A lot of them sure. are way bigger than you think you can handle, but you still yeah. pursue them. Um, and so those are, those are some really, really great lessons. So you went from scratch, you built this firm, um, and it grew, right? So yeah. how, how, what did the firm look like, um, as it grew into its, its largest, uh, so we started out, um, actually we started out actually with three partners and, uh, one partner dropped out of the, uh, uh, centric design studio entity, um, and moved out of state. So it was me and Damon, uh, remaining, uh, and then we, uh, picked up, uh, like two employees that uh, we had worked with at the other firms um, that actually helped us with kind of production side of things. Uh, so we did a lot of, um, instead of direct hiring, we did a lot of um, contract employees to help uh, with big production type uh, loads. And, and then we um, also did a lot of internships. So uh, this is this is something you talked about too. Like after after my realization as an African American woman, how hard it is within the field of architecture. One of the key things that was uh, to the center of our practice was um, bringing in um, interns every year, and it all it was not only just uh, college interns; it was also high school uh, interns. We were uh, located in Midtown Detroit, and we were two blocks away from. Uh, College of Creative Studies. Uh, they had a uh, university prep school that was ninth grade to 12th grade. And then the 12th grade students had a senior practicum that was part of their 
uh, graduation requirement, yeah. and they had to get 50 hours in a professional setting for their career choice. So since uh, College of Creative Studies was based on, you know, the creative industry and, and, and the background there, we had a, we had the school correct, you know, basically Google us and saw what was close to them. And, and, they, and they called us and was like, hey, you know, I see your website. I see you're not far from us. We have this program. And I was like, yes, you know, I'm already bringing in college students. I was like, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of these students were uh, African-American students that were, I'm thinking about architecture. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, we, we did bring in one student who was looking at graphic design and they actually helped out with some of the graphics for our other project in the Water Design Part T while, while they were in our firm. Um, but to me, that was something that I had to put into the practice based on what I had learned about uh, the, the, the low numbers of minority students. So I think we've had over, uh, from that university, college CCS's uh, high school program, I think we've had over seven, uh, to six to seven students from that program uh, come through our office. And then we also started to do a program um, with the city of Detroit. Uh, Mayor Duggan uh, introduced this project called Go Detroit Young Talent. So we hired another high school student, uh, two high school students from that program. And uh, Vincent stayed with us a long time. So he's still trying to get through the college side of things now. But yeah, he started as a high school student with us. Uh, so that was important. So our 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 practice became like, especially during the summer, this breeding gown and this almost this think tank. And uh, like yeah. I said, and then that's that I think has grown my other entrepreneurial endeavors like Noir Design Party and and other things. So it, in a given time during the summer, this this practice was, um, you know, roughly uh, eight to ten people. Um, in, in, in the summer months of, uh, of people production wise, contract employees, the three permanent people we had and just, you know, so it just really started to grow. Um, and then we started to team with larger firms, uh, and that's kind of where it started to come closer to the, uh, acquisition portion. So we teamed with the firm that my business partner, Damon Thomas worked with, which was Harley Ellis Devereaux out of Southfield, we teamed with them on the DMC Cardiovascular Center and was able to get a large, you know, basically new construction project that we could put on our website uh, for the Cardiovascular Center. And he has a healthcare background um, and doing healthcare design. So that was just wonderful. So, And, it, and uh, that's a, another scary opportunity, right? Another yeah. step. You look at that and say, well, maybe we can team with these big firms. Oh, that's really scary. I don't know how to do that. You know, you could have said, I don't want to do that. That's too difficult. I just kept doing what you were doing, right? You you were you had a business that worked, um, but you didn't, right? Yeah. That opportunity it, it came a, it to you. It was a lot of things that were scary, like you said. It was yeah. like we, me, and, I, and it was wonderful to have a business partner. I know people have had stories where it's it, it could be either or with a partner, but with me and my business partner, we had a great relationship, and we would talk about things like that. Well, we have to go to the pre bid, and you know your old firm is going to be there, or my old firm is going to yeah. be there, yeah. and we really had to talk ourselves through that. We're like, well, forget that. We're on our own now. Let's do this, like you know, and pumped each other up to go to, uh, and make those phone calls. Or you call your contacts at Harley, and I'll call my contacts at the old firms that I work with about, you know, teaming. And then we had a couple of firms that did reach out to us. Right. So. Uh, so that, that came, um, oh, actually with the, the Quinn Evans, they, they, you know, it was, a, they, re they reached out to us and we were, um, looking at, uh, actually they were, uh, production wise, uh, at capacity for a project that they didn't want to turn away. 
And so they were like, okay, uh, do you have, and I never said no. That's the other thing too. When someone called me, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. good and bad too, right? Yeah. So when somebody called me, it's like, do you have? Oh yeah, like, we can do that. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I do. <laughs> Click. How do we do that? <laughs> exactly. We <laughs> better hire some people because yeah, I just like, said we have more people in the back. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, never say no. Uh, and definitely, uh, like I said, they were. Uh, you have production staff, so yes, I'm calling my network. Like, hey, how are you doing? Or I knew some people that were out of work. I was like, yes, let me call such and such. They'll be perfect for this project. And I would literally contract them out to to someone else, and I'm contracting them. So just to you know, whatever it took to to uh, answer the demand, right? So uh, that built great relationships with um, with the larger firms. Like, so we had done it once with Carlos Devereaux. We did it uh, with the firm that I was at before, Gafarian Associates. We teamed uh, on a couple of projects with them. Actually, they were, uh, Gafarian Associates is a full AE firm, and we teamed with them on a couple of projects. But when we had the project at TechTown, they were the MEP engineers for our, our project um, uh, under us at the tech town renovation. So that it was just, it was, it was leveraging those old relationships. As they say, never burn a bridge. Cause we, I went back to like literally and worked almost with all my past employers, myself and, and my business partner, Damon Thomas, we both, uh, uh, you wore, uh, you wore grooves in those bridges. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come back across. Right? <laughs> you didn't just burn it. You used it back and forth and back and yeah. forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Keep those, those contacts. So, uh, and then um, with, with Quinn Evans, we just uh, had a, it was a good re- working relationship. We did several projects together with them, a re- renovation of uh, kind of uh, modern buildings, converting them into, um, you know, from office buildings into residential, which is, you know, becoming really big here in one project in Toledo. Um, and um, actually, I had some really good employees over the years. Very fortunate with that, I guess. Um uh, that that comes from that comes from a lot of gut feeling hiring people and and uh, I didn't realize how much I watch people I I, I watch people and I fit and I can figure out how they're gonna fit into a project intuitive what, yeah what they, yeah what, what, what they're gonna be good at so I had a couple of great employees one I've actually uh, he's moved out of state and even even the people at Quinn Evans is like if Wiley comes back we're gonna hire him here so uh, so, so he uh, great employee uh, he was actually our intern that came out of Bowling Green uh, with our firm uh, summer internship African-American young man great uh, great uh, talent and uh, so we, we we continued on with uh, Quinn Evans I, I contacted them about a couple of opportunities that uh, I was looking at uh, with uh, Detroit Public Schools, and they they reached out to us on another one uh, with Detroit Public Schools, and we were teamed up with another firm, um, OHM, and going after uh, work for uh, Detroit Public Schools, looking at, you know, kind of the downsizing of, of the shrinking population in the city of Detroit, and what does that mean to a school system, and what does that mean to their feeder pattern uh, for their high schools and the district, and just studying that, and so we just kept building this relationship. And then this this project came up for, from Michigan SHPO office that was a uh, grant that came from the National Park Service for African-American um, civil rights sites uh, within the city of Detroit. So I called Quinn Evans. I was like, I really want to go after this project. I know I need you know more SHPO experience and I know you have it. But I know you need an African-American, too, to be on this project. So it's like it's like yeah, it's, mutually benefit. It's right. Yeah. right. So, uh, we actually won that project. And so for that point, uh, one of the principals at uh, Quinn Evans 
approached me because she was on the uh, uh, fellowship committee for AIA uh, Michigan. Uh, so she's a past fellow and she was like, you should apply for your fellowship. She's like, you have enough going on with your practice, you know, mentoring in your practice and all the community projects you do, you, you know, you're, I think you're a good candidate for it. And, uh, you know, just the sheer, uh, less number of, uh, minorities that are, uh, FAI, I think that we should work with you. So, uh, started to work with the, uh, AIA committee and she started to hear more of my story. So she was like, well, you know, and we and we were winning. She didn't working. know how deep it went. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, we just so, heard that story. I mean, you are the living definition of an entrepreneur architect. I mean, you <laughs> you like went from zero to building a firm that that was acquired by a big firm. I mean, that's when you when you think of entrepreneurial tech firms or startups, that's the story, right? They started from scratch in a garage and they built it into this big company that a bigger company comes and recognizes the benefit of be, having them become part of their company and you you did the same thing in architecture yeah and we and we and, and it's like we didn't know our worth you know it was just like we were just working our, our you know our whole uh push for our our firm was just our based on our work ethic you know we were like the, the only way you know we started doing recession we said the only way the only place to go is up and the only way that this place is going to close down is if we turn the lights off so that right. was the philosophy that yep. drove the firm and everybody and i didn't realize how everybody uh was paying attention to that. I mean, we were doing the behind the scenes where people were really looking at it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Quinn Evans, you know, asked us, you know, well, what do you think about, uh, you know, uh, the entire firm coming over and being acquired with us? You know, we were like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. It's like, so it's, it's, it's like we had, we had talked about, um, you know, uh, through the series of programs we were going through a tech town, we went through, their, uh, I talked about their Smart Start program. I also went through the SBA Emerging Leaders program for the Small Business Administration. And I went through Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. So there was a portion in that program that talked about succession planning and what are you going to do, right. you know, uh, to close this out. And, you know, and I left the class like I still really don't know what I'm going to do. But I was like, yeah, what do we do? I said, well, maybe my son, because he's, he's the only one that's interested in architecture. I said, he's 14. By the time we retire, he'll be old enough to take over the firm. I said, maybe it's that. Other than that, I, I right. really didn't think about uh, having another firm acquire us or um, uh, we talked for a moment like, well, should we buy another legacy African-American architecture firm after one of the uh, founders in Detroit had had died? It's like, well, do you know, or it was a couple retiring as well. So the conversations had happened around yeah. what to do next. But this one was totally unexpected when we were asked to do this. So we we were uh, thinking it through and, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, how do we, um, the biggest thing with, with the decision was emotionally. Yeah, I was going to, I want to ask, and you, you're bringing it up. I wanted to ask that. What were the feelings? What were the yeah, feelings when was, somebody came to you and said, we want to acquire your firm and we want yeah. to, to bring your firm into our culture and our company and our policies and our rules? What was the feeling? The initial yeah, feeling. Yeah, it was like, uh, so one of the things was that that we were talking about like opportunities for minority firms. Well, the number of minority firms in the metro Detroit area has declined uh, since the 1990s to today. So you do have a, uh, and then that 2% number has stayed the same. And then the number of firm owners has decreased. So the first emotional thing was we, it's only like, 
three or four now minority architecture firms in Detroit, and we're going to take one away if we oh, go. So join, you, you reduce right, the numbers, right? Yeah. Right, we're reducing the numbers, joining another majority firm. So, uh, luckily, like I said, because of all these programs, some of the things that we had in place were mentors and advisory boards. So, started to talk to them about this 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 process, and it was like a six month process that we went through with Quinn Evans. Uh, so it happened in kind of mid uh, 2018, and by beginning of January of 2019, we were uh, signed. Actually, we signed Chris. We signed uh, paperwork on Christmas Eve, the 24th of 2018. Merry so, Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas! We went to have breakfast afterwards, but uh, but the mentor was just like, you have to make a list uh, and separate your emotional feelings from the mm-hmm. business side of it. So list out all the business benefits of what you're getting from it and then list out the emotional and then you and your partner talk about it. And we did that separately. So we came back together and was like, okay, we both had the African-American architect thing on there and that being a a disappointment. And then, um, but the business side of it was really good. So we, um, uh, we basically, uh, we were acquired and we basically did like an asset sale. So we sold our future work, and, and and stuff we projects we hadn't even started yet that we had won and RFP processes uh, with the city of Detroit and with developers that were uh, in the city. Um, so yeah, we were starting to get in the newspaper and that was kind of the state of our firm that we went in this work. So we basically made that a couple of computers and then uh, our key personnel that came over with us was all like an asset that mm-hmm. went toward myself and my business partner Damon. Um, um, having stock ownership in, in Quinn Evans Architects. So uh, Quinn Evans, like I said, it, it was just, like I said, all just uh, good good on the business side. You you know, you're looking at the the, the structure of the deal and we, we, we got um, kind of an offer sheet or a term sheet that we we're looking at and what they were offering. Uh, so all of that looked very well because in a, in, a, in a firm with a great relationship, a 30, 35-year-old firm that has started out in, in, in basically with two small, you know, two owners, uh, uh, Mike Quinn and Dave Evans, and they started 35 years ago, one office in, in, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and one office in D.C., uh, and basically based their practice on uh, historical preservation and having the government work out at the D.C. office and, uh, and Ann Arbor uh, having a lot of work with the National uh, Park Service and uh, just 35 years of the, their growth uh, of that firm and the increase from the basically the two of them starting it to now it's 200 people with six offices. The story of that entrepreneur right. actually appealed to both of us. So it's the firm itself that in the culture we were coming into, we knew how the working relationship was. They they loved uh, buildings. They loved architecture. They were sustainable. All of the key things that we liked. Um, but there's the, the story and the entrepreneurial nature of Quinn Evans is still there. Um, and the the starting of their their, the, you know, the Ann Arbor office jumping and starting the Detroit office. It started with four people. And, uh, you know, now the Detroit office is 24 people. Just the whole uh, story of that was appealing. So yeah. me and my business partner was like, OK, this is the they're 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 doing the same thing we were doing. And it just, you know, it's. It's been longer. It's been longer than ten years for them. It's been thirty-five years, and they're and they're doing it, and they're and they're doing other business measures, acquiring firms, and so it was very appealing. Uh, the offer for the stock offer 
with our asset sale portion was very uh, appealing as well. Uh, so it it kind of answered a lot of questions uh, for us as far as retirement and um, still protection for our employees that are coming over. Nobody's going to get lost in the shuffle. Uh, it was just it was a very appealing business deal. But uh, and and it was like, you know, uh, like you said, feeling wise, it was do you know. What if we didn't do this? So, we'll, you know, we did mm-hmm. go through that scenario. What if right. we don't do this? What does that mean? And and now looking back at COVID-19 and seeing like, oh, man, what would it be like if we were still in the firm now? Yeah. Oh, goodness. You know, it's like <laughs> so it's, it, we do feel like now hindsight we made the right decision, but it was still like, well, OK, you know, in the deal, can we negotiate to still keep our reserve the right to our name Centric Design Studio uh, and keep that to the side just in case it doesn't work out. Or, you know, it was, it was, it was, there was a lot of different feelings. Like this is a big change, right? I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm letting go of a baby. It was a little bit of right. a, a, a hard thing to let, to let go of that, that growth and that success. But it was a great homage that, you know, that, oh, you know, that we did something that people recognized. Uh, yeah. And then during that same six month period, uh, we, other two other firms approached us about, uh, you know, what do you think about coming over our firm? Not we hadn't even we had not exposed anything that we were, were doing with Quinn Evans. So it was just yeah. like seeing that that the offer come repeatedly. Yeah. It was like, wow, then maybe this is the right. You thing had to built do. a firm that others yeah. were interested <laughs> in because of the business yeah. that you had built. Right. Yeah. Right. And, I, you know, I also look at what you said about. Um, your concern about reducing the numbers of black architect minority owned firms um, yes. in in Michigan, and I see it looking listening to your story and listen and and looking at, at the scenario of what you've put before us, I see it as a gain because you will inspire so many other young architects, black and white, that you have built this firm from zero and built it to a firm that was so valuable and so successful that there were other large firms that wanted your firm to be part of their firm. And not because you were black, but because you built a great firm, right? That you are a successful entrepreneur. Um, and, and I think that is so inspiring that you will influence so many other architects and you're doing it anyway. You're doing it proactively, uh, uh, mentoring and inspiring other young architects to, to learn what you've learned, taking the lessons that you've learned and teaching them so they can move forward. Um, much like you had that support and encouragement when you were younger, you're doing the same thing, but you as a role model that you built this firm from zero, uh, built it to the point where, you know, somebody paid you for your company to be part of their company. That is incredibly inspiring and motivational for any young architect to hear that story and say, well, maybe I can do that too. And, and so many lessons in the story that you just presented I can't even number, can you put a number to how many lessons you taught us about building a business? Um, and so I believe that that number of minority architects will go up because of the decisions you've made. You may have taken one out, but there will definitely be multiple coming in directly because of what the decisions you made because of the story that you, you can now tell. Right. That's great. That's great. Uh, it, I, like I said, I didn't think about it when, when it was happening, but I, I'm starting to feel that way now. Um, uh, now I'm on the uh, National Organization of Minority Architects National Board, 
uh, I'm on the, the Midwest Regional Vice President, and our current president, Kimberly Dowdell, you know, her, her, her model for, the, for her presidency is all in for NOMA. And the all stands for, you know, access, leadership, and legacy. So legacy can mean a lot of different things. You know, it is, uh, when they say succession planning, there are a lot of different aspects to succession planning. It's not just keeping the name to your firm and, and passing it on. Uh, it, it is also, like you, like you said, just like tech companies, it is selling your firm and, and leveraging, leveraging your, uh, your growth that you have to, to be a part of something bigger and actually be at, you know, and, and have a seat at things like large firm roundtables and exactly, um, right. be able to have a voice at, at different things like that. But yeah, it, it, it does have a, a great effect. A lot of people have asked me about it. How, you know, how am I doing? And, <laughs> you know, uh, what do you think about the decision? This is amazing. This is the first time in the history that I know of in Metro Detroit that a minority firm was uh, acquired by a majority firm. Um, I did, but one thing too that was very appealing about Quinn Evans Architects that a lot of people do, uh, did not know is that uh, Quinn Evans Architects is 52% uh, woman owned. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, they are. Um, 50, 52% uh, employees by by women, mm. uh, and then and the objective is to be uh, uh, be woman owned after the next presidency uh, within the firm. So I had no idea uh, across all the different offices that it was it was uh, that that many uh, women in the firm of this size or 200, and that's something I had never came across too. So that was appealing to me, um, and it was and it was said that kind of firms like uh, uh, with Quinn Evans that, you know, do a lot of adaptive reuse projects and preservation projects. Uh, it attracts a lot of women to, the, to that practice because of the empathy and they have for saving buildings and uh, actually telling the stories behind the buildings as well. The history uh, portion of that uh, that comes out of, out of the stories when we adapt buildings and, and people tell the story of, of that transformation of what used to be here and uh, and it feeds into the story of revitalization in the city of Detroit is it all connects, uh, you know, well to uh, my heartstrings. And like I said, that was just more of the attraction to the firm. Quinn Evans. Yeah. 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 It's such a good story. I'm so glad you came back to tell the story. <laughs> you know, I just thought, oh, it would be a great story to hear, you know, an architect sort of building their firm and being acquired and and sort of uh, talking about the, the the technical part of it. You know, how did how did the offer come along? But your story is so inspiring from beginning to end that I'm so oh, happy you, to to be able to have you come on the show and be able to record it and have it here in our archive forever um, because it is a super inspiring story to anybody who's starting an architecture firm. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you for, for telling it. Um, before we wrap things up here, um, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Well, I would definitely say um, uh, similar to some of the things that that uh, that I had to do in the past. Uh, definitely um, connect yourself back to your your background, your roots, um, so that uh, everybody can learn your journey and your story. Um, that'll come out in your practice. It'll come out in your work and the type of projects that you do. Uh, like like I said, this. Uh, able to to do the type of projects that I was able to work on in, in Detroit. Uh, I feel like that, you know, going through entrepreneurship, I have projects that are related to entrepreneurship, going through community projects, um, 
uh, I have made uh, connections and 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 a network across the city that everybody understands that I care about the city of Detroit, that I care about every project and every client that we have. So I think if you have that genuine relationship with uh, with everything that you do and starting your practice, I think uh, you will be a success. There's after that, there's no way to fail you, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just and, and and yeah, and then if you don't know something, uh, there's classes out there, and and there's uh, things online that help you figure it out. So don't give up. And don't say no. And don't say and don't say no. <laughs> don't say no. <laughs> when you pick up that phone, do not say no. Yeah. <laughs> Her name is Sandra Little. You can learn more about Quinn Evans at quinnevans.com. You can learn more about Noir Design Part T on uh, social media with uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, and a website for Noir, Noir Design Party is on its way. Don't forget that. So hook up on social media and, uh, and, and then when the website's ready to go, you can learn all about the stories of black architects in Detroit. It'll be uh, fantastic. I, and I would, I'd love to have you come back again. When that website's ready to go, all let, right, let me right. know and we'll, uh, we'll have you back. Sandra, this has been such uh, an inspiring conversation. I know I kept using that word during this conversation, but it is. Uh, I am so pumped up and inspired to hear your story and I appreciate you for for uh, telling it here for other young architects to to hear your story so thank you very much for joining me here today and sharing your story at Entre Architect Podcast thank you Mark this means a lot coming from you you are a great inspiration to all the architects out there starting their practices so thank you that means a lot you're welcome Sandra thank you you've been listening to episode 338 with Sandra Little the link to the show notes and the link to share with a friend is entrearchitect.com slash episode 338. Please share this episode with a friend. And, and, I, and I'm saying this every episode now. This is one of those episodes that you should share. This is such an inspiring story. If you know somebody who is uh, considering building a firm that is acquirable uh, or wants to be acquired by a larger firm, uh, Sandra just gave you the story of how she did it. Um, and so go check this out at entrearchitect.com slash episode 338 and share that link with a friend. And big news, big news, the website Noir Design Part T is live. We recorded this episode a month or two ago and the website is now live at noirdesignpartee.com. So go check it out. Noir Design Part T documents the careers and creative works of Detroit's African-American architects, Sandra and Karen Davis Burton have worked so hard at making this project happen. You can learn more about it at uh, entrearchitect.com slash episode 326. We talked all about it uh, in that episode, entrearchitect.com slash episode 326. Go check it out and learn uh, about a little piece of all our heritage as architects at noirdesignparty.com. Before we wrap up, Before we wrap up here at this episode, don't forget to check out all our resources at entrearchitect.com. They're sitting there waiting for you at entrearchitect.com. You can join us for a monthly business training uh, and tons of resources. 30 days for free. You can go in, check it out. Join us at one of our trainings for free for 30 days. entrearchitect.com slash join. Uh, Join our powerful mastermind groups, Entree Architect Mastermind. Those are professional peer groups with, I don't know, uh, eight to 12 uh, fellow architects. They meet weekly, super powerful uh, peer groups, entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. If you're looking for something to help you sort of grow 
and stay focused and uh, hold yourself accountable, that's where you want to go, entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. And you can join in on the fun at our free private Facebook group, the most positive, most engaged community on the internet for small firms at entrearchitect.com slash group, the Entree Architect community on Facebook. And if you don't like Facebook, but you want to join that community, just favorite that link, entrearchitect.com slash group. That's how you can join. That's also how you can access that group without finding your way into the rest of Facebook, right? The Facebook group is amazing. It is worth being a member of Facebook. Uh, entrearchitect.com slash group will get you directly into that group. We have everything you need to build a better business at entrearchitect.com. The Entree Architect Podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the new Gable Media Network. Subscribe to this and all the Gable Media Podcasts at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, be happy, safe, secure. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe.
It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.